does God need us? I know for sure that I need God. I know you need God. I know we need God. But does he need us? The creator of the universe, the son of the most high, the God of all. Today, I want to, I'll answer that question at the end when I'm done preaching in like an hour and a half. And uh, just kidding. Um, But today I want to talk about three stories. And I want to talk about destiny. And I want to talk about the three wise men and Mary and Jesus with that theme of destiny throughout. The title of today's message is Destiny to... I kind of left it open-ended because it's it's going to be unpacked in the the midst of this message. Even though I'm talking about these these heroes and and these men and women of faith in the Bible and our King, um, this will also be a question that we ask ourselves, that we look at ourselves about what is our purpose, what is our destiny. So I want us to think about for a moment the, the creator of the universe, the king of all, how he came to earth, how he made his grand appearance to mankind. He came to earth as a vulnerable, helpless, needy baby, utterly dependent upon his creation. He had to be cared for. He had to be tended to. He had to be carried. He had to be fed. He had to be protected. He had to be clothed. He had to be taught. He came as a baby, not as triumphant king, not as mighty ultimate warrior, not as anything else, but he came as a baby dependent upon his creation. And that's a powerful thing. And God chose to need He chose to need. The king of the universe chose to need man. That was his plan. What can we learn from the baby? The baby Jesus. In Christmas, that's what our our most prominent imagery is, is the baby, right? When he left heaven and came to earth, Jesus gave up all control and he chose to need man. That theme of control is an interesting one. How do we do with that theme? How how do we do with that, that theme of control? And I'm not talking about a good disciplined life. I, I like, there's certain disciplines I like, you know, not being reckless by showing a certain amount of control. That, that's, that's good. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about when push comes to shove, who holds the reins of your life? Who is behind the wheel? Who is in control? Who do we say yes to? I want to read out of Philippians uh, chapter 2. We see, and I'm reading out of the Passion Translation, in verses 7 and 8 of Philippians 2. It says that Jesus, instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. 
he humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example, even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. We can leave that that passage of scripture up. Humble. Vulnerable. Obedient. Trusting. These are the words used to describe Jesus. These are the traits we see of Jesus. Humble. Vulnerable. Obedient. Sometimes we despise those words. Again, Jesus comes as a baby. He surrenders control. He empties himself of godly glory. So he was 100% man, 100% God. He wasn't half and half. He was all in all. He was 100% man. Emptied himself of glory, of God's, of, of the rights and privileges of being a part of the Godhead. Humble, vulnerable, obedient, trusting. If these are the words used to describe our conquering king, Jesus Christ, they should also be words used to describe us. From the second that he was born, Jesus was deserving of all praise. From the moment he was born, he was deserving to be worshipped. So let's let's skip ahead a little bit in the Christmas story, and then I'm going to come back to to Luke chapter 2. I want to talk about the the birth of Jesus, but I want to jump ahead a little bit, and I want to look at some unexpected, seemingly out-of-place wise men in the Christmas story. So if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 2, and if you also want to turn to Luke chapter 2, you can kind of, you know, if you've got your Bibles with you, you can put your finger in, and hold your place. If you've got your Bible app, let's go to Matthew chapter 2. And I'm going to be reading out of the ESV. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star. Pay attention to when we talk about the star. The star is an interesting thing. For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So we're talking about the wise men real quick. So let me bring some clarity. And I don't want to mess with your... I don't want to mess with your nativity scene, but I'm going to mess with your nativity scene. Okay? So... I have vivid remembrance of, as a kid, we had a, a nativity scene, and my dad split the scene, or at least in my in my opinion, he split the scene. So, you know, over here, we had we had the barn, and we had the manger, and we had the cows and sheep, and Mary, and Joseph, and angels. And then, like, in another room, around the way, we had the wise men. As a kid, I, so I, I don't remember, I, I feel like I tried to move them back. And my dad corrected me, he goes, no, 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 we, the wise men stay there. I'm like, well, why are they so separate? He's like, well, they're not part of the nativity. They don't show up for a couple years. I'm like, what? It, it, all the, dad, are you sure? 
Because in all the pictures, there's wise men. Kiddos, even in your worksheet today, there's, there's three wise men. But they're kind of in the, in the distance on the left. They're not like two years in the distance, but they should be like almost two years in the distance. They don't make an appearance for a while. The three wise men never saw Jesus the baby. Do you know that? They saw Jesus the toddler. They did. They saw Jesus the almost two-year-old. Did you know that the wise men weren't Jewish? Did you know the wise men weren't Christian? Did you know that the wise men actually came? They, they were intellectuals. They were intellectuals of the day, but they were a part of an order that was formed from a really ungodly, manipulative, mercenary-type soothsayer. That's how the Magi were formed. Magi. What, is that, what word does that sound like? Does it, anyone, does it, do we think of any word when we hear Magi, any of our words? Magic. Magic. So when we look at the Magi, we're not looking at, at, at good Jewish folk or even like good Christian folk. But here's what we do see. People searching for the king of the Jews. People hungry and eager to see if the prophecy was true, even if the prophecy that they were basing it on came from an ungodly person. Their journey, they journeyed a thousand miles, roughly a thousand miles to get to Jesus. Their journey was anywhere from nine to 11 months. You know, people vary on how long they say it took. It took a while. Can I stop and ask us about our hunger? We who know Jesus and know his goodness and know his power, what links are we willing to go to to be in his presence, to seek the Lord? We're not talking about a thousand miles or a nine to ten journey via camel. But just making time for him. Real quick, um, the, uh, the ungodly soothsayer for hire that I mentioned, his name is Balaam. And he's an interesting character. I, we're not going to go rabbit trail too much, but you can look up Balaam. You can look up his donkey. You can look up three chapters dedicated to this dude who was an ungodly pay-for-hire ungodly prophet. Look it up on your own time. Make a day of it. It's fun. Let's pick back up in verse 9. So we're still talking about the wise men. Verse 9. After listening to the king, talking about King Herod, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them and it came to rest over the place where the child, not baby, but child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. I love the hyperbole in this. I love the the exaggerative but totally accurate phrasing of this. So when it comes to the star, let me point out some obvious things about the star. Stars don't lead and guide and reappear and pause and rest over a home. 
That's miraculous. When, when they, when it looks, and they, and they said they see the star and they're downright giddy. Can you imagine that? The star, like waiting for you to get out of Herod's office. You're like, oh, there's that star. And the star's like, and then the star moves and you're like, oh, we're following the star. Then it stops over a house. Some people believe that that star was an angel or was a multitude of angels possibly because they, they guide, they lead. I don't know. Verse 11, and going into the house, not a barn, but a house, they saw the child, not a baby, but the child, with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. They fell down and worshiped him. That word for fall down is to throw yourself down and shatter, which is interesting because last week, I preached a message about being joined with gold, joined to gold, joined with Jesus Christ that when we're shattered, that we're, we're united in him, in his presence, and the gold of his love and mercy. These wise men threw themselves on the ground and worshipped this toddler. Then, Opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let's, let's not keep plowing through the story to, to, to the point that we don't stop and recognize the details. These wealthy, influential, intellectuals throw themselves at the feet of Jesus. They extravagantly worship him. And then they extravagantly give to him. I'm letting you know right now, and you can take this to the bank. If you're in need of exceedingly great joy, if you're in need of exceedingly great joy, we see a recipe right here in Scripture. And it's this. We, We come into his presence and we extravagantly worship him. We extravagantly, extravagantly give to him. And we receive great joy. The wise men gave to Jesus. They gave gold. Gold represented Jesus' royalty. They gave frankincense. Frankincense represented his divinity. And they gave myrrh, which represented his humanity. Talk about purpose. Talk about destiny. These wise men had an amazing purpose to seek Jesus, to find Jesus, to worship him extravagantly, to give to him extravagantly, and to experience exceedingly great joy in Christ Jesus. The last story of my message, we're going to read the story of the birth of Jesus from Luke chapter 2. And in this, we're going to see the destiny of Mary and get a glimpse of the destiny and purpose of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 2, which by the way, a little bit of trivia for maybe for like next year, if we can do our Christmas party in here again, and Sarah and Chris can do their you know family feud Christmas edition like we did last year. 
this actually might have been one of the questions last year, but the very first spoken word ever heard over the airwaves, because there was a point when radios, all you heard was Morse code. All you heard was beeps and pauses and beeps and pauses. The very first spoken word ever heard over the airwaves, um, and I want to say it was like 1906 or something. It was, I feel like it's, I feel like that's right. Should have wrote it down. Didn't write it down. It was Luke chapter 2. This story. So people out on their ships with a radio there where they're used to hearing beeps, all of a sudden they hear words spoken and they hear this. Luke chapter 2, verses, verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, his like engaged, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. Or as Linus would say, they were sure afraid. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. The angels were bringing good news. Sometimes I bring good noise. But they were bringing good news. So just to correct, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you, is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away, From them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told concerning them, saying this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. I want to point out so far in in this story and the things that I've read from Scripture so far that the characters that we see, it's an unlikely cast of characters. It's It's an unqualified cast of characters. We got wise men coming from a thousand miles away who aren't Christian or Jewish. They don't have access to Jewish law. They're getting their source from an ungodly, evil, like sorcerer-type manipulator, but yet they grabbed a hold of 
a truth that the Lord put in their heart that the king of Jews was real and he was going to be born and that star is proof of it. Seek him. Seek him. We see shepherds saying, pinch me. I can't believe this was just revealed to us. Blue collar, uneducated, us. We see Mary. We see Joseph. I say that to to say never disqualify yourself. God always, he always calls the uns, the unqualified, the unlikely. So there's a significant verse that I don't know that we fully understand and I want to I unpack it today. So let me read verse 12 again. And this will be a sign for you, okay? Of all the things that the angels might have to say, they say, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So there's two key words here and I want to make sure we understand those words because not, they're not words that we use very often today. So those two words are manger and swaddling cloths. I guess it's three words, but it's like, you know, we'll just, yes, two-ish. Manger and swaddling. We don't really use swaddling. Manger is a feed trough. Manger is not a barn. It's not a gazebo. It's not a pergola. It doesn't have cafe lights hanging from it. It's a feed trough. It's a long, narrow trough used to feed, to provide animals with with food and water. This was our king's first bed. Swaddling. Swaddling cloth means strips of cloth. I always thought swaddling sounded so comfy. Like, oh, I want a swaddling cloth. It sounded like a like a blanket. It, it sounded, you know, like a comforter, and it sounded really nice, and that's not what it was. Swaddling cloths were strips of cloth, not a blanket. Certainly not a comforter. Let's circle back again on verses sixteen through nineteen. Verse 16, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, when they saw it, what's it? When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. Okay, so it is the saying. It is the sign that the angel said you're going to see a sign. So when they're talking about it, this is what they're referring to. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. These words that the angel speaks, it speaks of the purpose and destiny of Jesus here on earth. It's a curious thing. Going to Bethlehem, you're going to see a baby wrapped in strips of cloth, lying there in a trough. When they left, that was part of the story that they left. No doubt they talked about the angels. No doubt they talked about 
just the heavenly host. But they left saying, this was interesting. We saw a baby, but guess what the baby was in a feed trough? Guess what the baby was wrapped in? Strips. Swaddling cloths. Strips of cloth. Where did they get the strips of cloth from? Actually, it was absolutely 100% common and appropriate for when a Jewish person or Jewish people to make a journey to travel, they traveled with strips of cloth. And here's why. It was unlawful for a Jew to handle the unclean and the dead. And oftentimes on a journey, they encountered the dead. Also, Mary was pregnant. And childbirth was rough. And there was no guarantee that mother and baby would survive childbirth. And if either mother mother or baby were to die, they would need to be brought somewhere so that there could be a proper burial, but they couldn't touch the dead body. So they brought strips that in case in the event of death, the dead would be wrapped in these strips of cloth and then carried. Another phrase for swaddling cloths is burial cloths. Think about this for a second. Mary knows that she will give birth to Jesus in Bethlehem. She knows that. She knows it. Gabriel appeared to her. We see it in Luke chapter 1. Gabriel appears. She's startled. She's afraid. He tries to settle her down. He says, you're favored. But she's still shaken. But she, she knows his truth, so she knows this much. Jesus is going to be born in Bethlehem. But Bethlehem is interesting when it comes to Jewish culture, to, to Jewish history. Because there's a woman named Rachel, and Rachel was Jacob's wife. Jacob later was renamed. Anyone know what Jacob was renamed to? God gave him a new name. Israel. So when we talk about the 12 tribes of Israel, we're talking about the 12 sons of Jacob. And Jacob, his, his most precious Rachel, died giving birth to what, whose name was favored son, Benjamin. Guess where Rachel died giving birth? Bethlehem. Even today, if we were to go to Bethlehem, there's a memorial. You can visit Rachel's tomb. That's a part of their history. That's a part of their history. Mary, as a good Jewish girl, is well aware of this. Even though the angel said, don't be afraid. Surely it had to cross the back of her mind as she recounted that visit with the angel that, that the angel said, that Jesus will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And unto you this child will be born and he will be called holy. He will be the son of God. And as she recounted that conversation, perhaps she remembered the only thing that's been promised to me so far is that I would give birth to the son of God. Perhaps as she packed 
those burial cloths. Perhaps, we don't know. But perhaps she thought, maybe this is for me. I know I am called to do this one thing. I know I am called to carry and to give birth to the Son of God. But maybe that's it. Maybe that's the extent of my mission. Maybe that's the extent of my purpose. Maybe that's my destiny. But she does give birth and she does live. And then she sees the purpose of those cloths. And she wraps Jesus in burial cloths. She sees that the purpose of those swaddling cloths was to perfectly and appropriately and symbolically represent what Jesus' purpose was. To die. To die for you. To die for me. When we read that story, maybe verse 12 makes a bit more sense that the shepherds went in looking for a sign. And they see a baby wrapped in burial cloths, lying in a trough. The baby who would later bring us the bread of life, who would feed us with truth, who promised us that our thirst would be quenched and we would never be thirsty again because the Holy Spirit would bring a fulfillment and a nourishment to us unlike anything this world provides. Jesus, who was born to die. See, that's not why we worship Jesus. We don't worship Jesus because he just made a sacrifice. We don't worship Jesus just because he was good and great and then died for us. We worship Jesus because after he died, he didn't stay that way. He conquered death. He conquered the tomb. He rose from the grave. And what he demonstrated for us is you don't have to stay in the midst of death either. See, Jesus didn't come for the bad to make them good. Jesus came for the dead to give them life. The Bible tells us that Jesus was born to die. First Peter 1.20 says this, Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest, was made revealed in the last times for the sake of you. For the sake of you. For the sake of you. And you. And me. And you. From the very moment that Jesus came into this world, he was wrapped in burial cloths. Jesus had a destiny and he knew what it was. Jesus had a destiny and he knew what it was And we see the defining characteristics of of Jesus is that he walked in humility. 
knowing what his destiny was. In obedience, knowing what his destiny was. In trust, knowing what his destiny was. His purpose was to die. To be the last sacrifice needed to be paid for to the Father for the remission of sins. That was his destiny. What about our destiny? What about our purpose? I have good news. It's not complicated. And we saw it modeled by the wise men. Seek God. Find Jesus. Worship Him extravagantly. Don't be too proud to throw yourself at the feet of Jesus. Don't be too proud for an extravagant gesture of praise. Don't be too intellectual or important to not worship our King extravagantly. Give to him extravagantly. I love the song, The Little Drummer Boy. I love it. It makes me cry every time. Because there's this poor little boy who says, what do I have to bring to you? What do I have to give to you? And he he found whatever talent it was, the, the playing of the drum, to give to the king. And I'm telling you right now, you have... You have so much to give to the king. Your life is what he wants. Not just what you can do for him. Not just the song you can sing. What he wants is your life. To be connected with his so that you can be whole. So then we give to him extravagantly. And then what? We experience exceedingly great joy. Not joy. Not joy. First little word. Three, three letters. Joy exceedingly ridiculous, over-the-top, great joy. That's what I believe that we're promised when Jesus said, I've come that you might have life, and life to the fullest. When Jesus left heaven and came to earth as a baby, he humbled himself and he gave up all control. When the wise men found Jesus, they humbled themselves and threw themselves on the ground and worshipped the toddler, the king of the Jews. So I'm asking you, will you do the same today? Will you humble yourself and relinquish control? Will you will you surrender? And just bring yourself with vulnerability and honesty, with need. Just bring yourself to the King. Your King needs you. That's the answer to the question. That was the very first question. That's what I opened up with. Does God need us? Yes, God needs you. You know why? Because He chose to his choice. He chose to need us. He's not going to pop down here and declare the good news of himself. 
He needs us to do that. He needs us to do that. He needs us to be the light. He needs us to talk about Jesus. He needs us to demonstrate that that he has the power over death. It's a crazy thought. But it's also a crazy thought that our conquering king chose to come to this world as a baby in need of everything. I don't know how you dialogue with the Lord, but my encouragement with you is this. Get alone with the Lord. Humble yourself. Get alone with the Lord. And tell him, I give you control. I give you control. Of this problem that I that I just can't fix, I give you control. Of this loved one who doesn't know you, I give you control. Of this situation that seems like it's heading for a crash, I give you control. I give you control. I trust you. Before I close in prayer, just a reminder, humility, vulnerability, obedience and trust. Traits that Jesus demonstrated his whole life and that we as followers of Jesus should demonstrate as well.